Hey everybody, hope you're doing well. Um, it's your pal Boiler Dowd. Following the uh, loss to Notre Dame, uh, we learned a little bit, uh, or maybe we didn't learn much at all. It kind of depends on your perspective. I can tell you that um, <clears throat> I don't. Uh, I don't know if I have uh, a much better perspective, but I do have a couple thoughts, and I wanted to share them with you. Uh, first off, thanks to our pals at. Gridiron Metalworks, uh, gridironmetalworks.com, where you can get the gift for the hard to uh, hard to shop for person on your list. Um, thanks to uh, Martin Vintage, martinvintage.com, where right now, enter boiled at checkout, either one, Gridiron Metalworks or Martin Vintage, enter boiled at checkout, 15% off, pretty good deal, both places. And then, of course, AJ's, eataj's.com. When you're on campus next time, check out Boiled Sports' favorite burger, and uh, they have burgers, beef, beer, television, sports, and great staff there right off campus. Uh, eataj's.com. <clears throat> thanks to all of them. Um, thanks to everybody who's tuning in right now, uh, who's live just after lunch. It's 145 on Monday, September 20th. And uh, we're in the, eight, uh, the wake of uh, the Purdue-Notre Dame game. The score of the game all of a sudden became very, very um, unimportant. Towards the end of the game when we saw David Bell lying motionless on the field. So I want to address that first, of course. I think it's the biggest deal. Um, there's some great news out of campus, and that is that he is doing much better. Uh, of course, he was walking around that night. It looked very, very bad as he, uh, of course, was tended to by both med staffs. Uh, that's never a good sign. But um, he is uh, he's, uh, he's doing better, and... Um, I can't tell you how much I thank God for that. And it's not so much for the Purdue football team, but for David's future. This is a guy that has a very bright future and a guy that is a an absolute mother of a competitor. Seems like a great guy. I've talked to him twice, met him before he was officially a Purdue athlete, and I'm rooting for him. Not only to do great things at Purdue, I want him to do great things at Purdue. I'm glad he's a Boilermaker because he represents so well. He literally is in the commercial right now for uh, Purdue on the academic side during games. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, you probably have if you if you enjoy watching Purdue football and basketball games. David Bell is in the commercial. He's on the brochure. He's the guy, right? So um, it's great that he's doing well. He apologized to Purdue fans for no good reason. He didn't need to do that. I think he probably thinks double teams are part of the deal, and he didn't think he got himself open enough and did as, mu as much as he usually does. He had one of the greatest catches we've seen in a long time, of course, because that's what he does. That's what David Bell does. We've gotten pretty spoiled and used to that. Um, but the good news is he's doing well. He's in concussion protocol, according to a couple different sources. And um, uh, if I were Purdue, I would not rush him back into action versus Illinois. I think uh, Purdue's receiver stable should be deep enough that they don't need to have Bell um, playing versus Illinois, and they should be able to handle their business. All that said, there's one big takeaway I think we all probably have by now. It's a trend. Three games in. Um, Milton Wright is struggling catching the ball. There's no other way to say it. People called him Stonehands on Twitter, and I would correct them very quickly. Stonehands generally means the ball bounces off your hands. It doesn't bounce off his hands. His hands are not close enough to have them bounce off. The ball goes through almost unabated. Uh, did it on deep passes in the first game. Did it? He didn't do it versus UConn. He was pretty trusty in that game. But again, versus Notre Dame, he dropped two or three or missed two or three. I can't even say dropped because he didn't get them in his hands and drop. Um, 
same uh, but slightly different. Payne Durham has a tendency to drop balls. Um, that one that was in the tight coverage towards the end of the game that turned into an interception, I really don't blame Durham too much. He's probably catch it, especially for a guy that wants to be in the NFL. Um, he needs to come up with those tough catches. Uh, that's what tight ends do, right? Uh, the best ones uh, can do a lot, and um, I think Durham has a lot of tools. I also think Milton Wright has a lot of tools. But here's with Milton Wright, I would say, Let's move him down in the receiver room just for a, a couple weeks until he figures this thing out. This is a technique issue. He needs to get his hands closer together. Move Marshawn Rice up. I'd love to see um, uh, Yassine as a, as a serious uh, part of the wide receiver room. I think he's been injured. I look forward to him. Uh, he's, being, he's being mentioned in articles now, so that's very good. I just think he has big upside. Um, so that's, that's two big issues, wide receivers, uh, of course, tight end. Uh, another one that I wanted to talk about, I think this is probably the biggest issue that I wanted to talk about, and that is the idea of Jack Plummer being a game manager and AOC coming in and being a bit of a gunslinger. Very interesting, right? Because Plummer, um, from the time he got on campus, he was just being told to not make mistakes, not throw interceptions, because it makes Brom absolutely crazy to see big-time mistakes that kill a drive. They've got Jack Plummer doing exactly what they want him to do. Jack Plummer has done what the Brom brothers have asked, and that is he's become almost a mistake-free quarterback. He's completing 70% of his passes over two seasons now. This isn't just like a um, one-and-done type of thing. This is Plummer is a legit, accurate quarterback. Part of the reason he's been so accurate, part of the reason his percentage, his complete percentage, completion percentage is so high is because he is checking down all the time. When he drops back, his first option, if it's across the middle, if it looks risky, he doesn't throw it there. And that's what Jeff Brom wanted him to do for a while. The issue that you have now is when you play a very good team, like Notre Dame, a team with good personnel, like Wisconsin, a team with good personnel, like Iowa, a team with good personnel, like Ohio State, you have to make big plays and you have to have a gunslinger at the controls. This stuff doesn't turn on and off week to week. It really doesn't. It's really hard to say, I want you to be a game manager versus Illinois and versus UConn and versus Oregon State, but versus Notre Dame, now you need to be a gunslinger. Brom brought him in to mix things up. He said he's still the starter next week, which is a good thing, but at the same time, I'm a little bothered, a little worried at the fact that um, Brom pulled the plug on him at all. Um, so if I were going to say, if I were going to mix something up, if I were Jeff Brom, the thing I would mix up, the thing I would look to mix up is I would in the next two weeks, if not this week, say I'm handing over the play calling to Brian Brom. I don't how, I don't know how we can't see that as a number one option for the Purdue football program right now. It is really hard to run play calling and other parts of the game when it's as a chaotic of a place as a football sideline. It is, that, is a, that is a place where everything's happening. You have a huge amount of emotion, huge amount of moving parts. There's tons of substitutions going. The head coach does a lot of CEO work where he has to look over a broad-scale operation. Calling plays is a hard thing to do. This right in itself, him giving the controls to Brian Brown right away. When I say right away, I mean right away. Starting this week, it would be a huge benefit to the Purdue football program, in my opinion. Part of the reason Jeff Brom has lost some of his sizzle, I think, as a play caller is because of his confidence, not only in the quarterback, which we've all been talking about for a couple of years, 
but also confidence in himself situationally. He seems to have, especially in big games, in situations when the game is on the line, meaning, okay, we're down the stretch, we're in the fourth quarter, whatever. Maybe Purdue has the, the lead. He'll pull way back on the reins because he wants them to now manage and hold that lead. The problem is, in modern college football, it's almost impossible to hold a less than touchdown lead for a quarter. It's very, very difficult. It's a lot to ask a defense. And this defense is much improved. They've done a very good job. By the way, another thing, that defense did its job and had some lapses and assignments, right? That's a different problem than we've had in the past. Hearing people on Twitter say, same old, right? That's, that bothers me a lot because it's not the same old thing. This defense has improved. And what you have happening is players getting fatigued and showing their fatigue in a way it's a mental breakdown. It's a guy looking in or going into the middle when he's supposed to go outside where the receiver breaks off a route or something like that. It happened twice. It happened on a running play. happened like three times. happened on a deep pass. And it also happened at the end of the first half, I believe, with that play up the gut. No, actually, it was first quarter. The play up the gut where everybody pinched the middle. That was an assignment issue. That may have not been fatigue. That was just an assignment issue. These things can be corrected. The defense gives us a lot of reason to be positive, to look ahead and say, hey, something good's happening on that side of the ball. <laughs> um, uh we have different opinions on, uh, I'm reading the margin on which quarterback is what. AOC, one thing, he came into the Notre Dame game and he didn't have any problem taking risks. So I'm going back to that. Um, he didn't have any problem taking risks because he's now the backup. He's not in the position where he's losing much and he's a guy that doesn't have a problem forcing it into situations. Now, the problem you have is Jack Plummer throws a harder ball. Jack Plummer has a bigger arm. AOC has a softball. He puts the ball right where it needs to be. But I can't tell you how many times I've watched him throw an out route or something across the middle in the seam where I've just been holding my breath as the ball is in the air. He's very, very accurate. There's no doubt about that. But he has problems when the when the pockets start collapsing. He um, he doesn't feel pressure well, and he gets sacked a lot when he's the guy. Now, when he comes in after Plummer, it's a different situation. Notre Dame's playing with the lead, and now he's just trying to shoot the ball down the field. Did a great job. Um, had a couple interceptions. Weren't his fault. I don't have anything against AOC. I just see a bigger upside with Jack Plummer, and the problem we have now is calling Jack Plummer to be a game manager and then make big plays when he needs to. So, there are my thoughts. Um, I don't know if I have many other. I'm kind of upset that the punters aren't haven't figured things out because I thought that was something that um, might have been put to bed. But the problem you have, I mean, it's a mechanics issue. When you look at the way um, uh, Ansel is, is, is punting the ball, he's actually putting a backspin on it every time. So even if he doesn't get it right, it's not going to have the, the roll and the carry that it does. And it's not going to travel through the air like a lot of the big boomers do in college football right now. He doesn't kick a spiraling ball. It's a different technique, and he learned that at kicking camps and uh, a kicking academy in Australia. I cannot remember the name right now. And I think uh, Brom has made the decision um, that he is going to go with whichever punter um, has the hot foot. Kind of weird thing instead of a hot hand. Um, uh, Todd Singer brings up a great point. Trice's injury was bad news, but I will say something, Todd, and I will say something to every Purdue fan. If you don't think Brown looked good in his stead, I'll tell you what, we learned a lot right there about his backup, his understudy. Um, he's good. He's good, and he's got big upside. He's going to be on the field a lot. The thing that I would look at is um, Mackey is a guy that – I like him because he's a try-hard guy, and he's he's um, he's his size is tough. It's easy for me to say. I'm five foot four, um, 
But if you could have Trice and Brown playing as the two corners, as the ones, if Trice can come back relatively quickly, we don't know exactly what his injury is. We know it's an ankle. It could be a hairline fracture. It could be a, um, a sprain. We really don't know. We probably won't know because the way Purdue controls information. But getting that defense back to 100% in the next couple of weeks, if that's possible, would be excellent, excellent news for the Purdue defense and for Purdue in general, right? Um, you've got... Coming up, Illinois, Minnesota, and then I believe Iowa. Um, I think there's two out of three very, very good and winnable games, according to what I've seen and what I've watched. Um, leaving uh, the pre-con at 2-1 and one is exactly what I thought they'd be. Now the question is, can they capitalize? Can they take another step? They need, they have to, dare I say have to beat Illinois to have any chance of getting to seven wins, no doubt about it. Um, so there's some promising things and there's some discouraging things at the same time, but there's all some very, very curable problems for your Boilermakers right now as they head into the Big Ten schedule. They'll be playing Illinois 3.30 on Saturday in God's country. I don't think the Minnesota game kickoff has been decided yet. Um, I would love to see that one later for selfish reasons again, and I'm hoping it can happen. Uh, hope to see you on Saturday. If you see me, say hi. I will be at the game and, um... I will be uh, excited about it because I think this is one Purdue should handle their business. One note about Illinois, they hit really hard. This is the thing I noticed. A lot of teams that um, aren't great have the, it's almost like what we were talking about earlier with, with um, uh, ha- having something to play for, nothing to play for, the mentality where you're just going to go after people. Illinois hits hard all over the field. They have a bunch of guys that are slobber knockers, if you will, and um, Purdue should be ready for uh, for some guys to get hit pretty hard and maybe uh, dinged up temporarily at least and come back in the game. But they're going to hit hard, and they've got some athletes, especially on the outside, on defense. I don't think their offense is at all impressive except uh, the starting running back is that actually they have two running backs, Epstein, and they have a bigger running back who are also pretty good. So Purdue needs to come ready to stop the run, in my opinion, because their passing game to me is nothing to write home about. It's about all I have for you. Um, Have a great day. Hammer down. God bless you. And we will talk to you soon. We'll have another handsome handsome hour for you late in the week. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you later. If you have any comments, do them below or on Twitter. We'll see you.